Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. We're continuing with Ryan Singer from Shape uh, from Basecamp, and uh, he's the author of the book Shape Up, which talks all about how Basecamp does uh, development. And we wanted to talk to him about uh, the relationship to Agile and um, how exactly uh, his teams work. We uh, were hearing last week about um, the, the structure of a project team, for example, with one designer and one or two programmers. And uh, in fact, the programmers are uh, people who can do pretty much anything in the, in the whole code base, not front end or back end, which was pretty exciting to hear about. One of the um, ideas we talked about here and one of the things you stressed is these, uh, we're talking about you work in six-week cycles and there's a, a, a lot of the um, message that you were describing was to make sure that people aren't blocked in there, for example, waiting for QA or waiting for code review. And also you, you mentioned earlier that you have a, a, a very strong value about uh, shipping code and, and that comes through uh, very much in the book in part around these sort of six-week periods that they are... Uh, kind of fixed right that's that's you, you get six weeks and that's it sounds like in, in most cases that's it either you've shipped something at the end of it or you or you haven't and it's not going to ship is that, is that right that is the default that's the default so we want to create a really strong incentive that the team needs to create they need to make trade-offs and they have to make decisions you know every time we start on a project it always there's more work there than we can see from the outside you know you, you, think, you think that you're going to go do a little bit of lawn work or clean out the garage over the weekend and you, you give yourself three hours and then you start and you realize it's going to take, it's going to take the entire weekend, right? That's right. <laughs> you know, and it's the same way when you open up a piece of code, you think you're going to, you think you're going to connect a little bit of this to a little bit of that. And then you discover, oh, that doesn't connect to that at all. And there's this other thing here. And there's this thing, this tech debt that we did because we rushed last time. And, you know, mm -hmm. there's all this stuff that you didn't expect to encounter. So we're building in that we're planning, we're sort of reserving that capacity from the beginning when we decide how much work we want to shape to put into a six week time box for that team. And at the same time, we want the team to, to, to feel that they need to make trade-offs because they're going to be bumping into all kinds of things that they didn't expect to when they start. And not only that, you know, there's the sort of natural scope, scope creep of just Oh, but we could also do this and we could also do that. And wouldn't that be better if we did this, you know? And yes. then before you know it, the whole thing is ballooning out of control. <laughs> if, the right. team, if the team has this, what we call the circuit breaker, the circuit breaker is if this doesn't ship in the amount of time that we committed, by default, it does not get more time. That means that a lot of good things come from that. But the first thing uh, is that the team knows that they need to sequence their work around the most important things. They need to solve the, the, the deepest unknowns or the hardest questions earlier in that six weeks. And they need to be very vigilant about as all of these, this new discovered work, we talk about imagined versus discovered work, the work mm -hmm. you think you have to do up front versus the work that you discover when your hands are in it, you know? Mm -hmm. As that, all that discovered work comes up, they need to be constantly flagging must have versus nice to have, must have versus nice to have. You know, if I had to stop tomorrow, if I had to drop everything and ship tomorrow, could I, you know, with this thing versus, versus this other thing? And so they're, they're making those 
they're making those decisions all the time. And it's also and they're, really they're important. They're having to build in vertical slices, right? So that they're able to keep themselves shippable most of the time. Is that right? So they, they don't build kind of the database table and then the business logic and then the um, uh, some, the middleware or something like that. They're, exactly. they're building in pieces that, that you can see and demo. Exactly. So they actually will have, uh, there's a sort of expectation that by the end of maybe the first week, there should be something on a staging server that you can click on that does something. And that doesn't mean that you have to start from the front. It doesn't mean you have to build login in order to get in. You know what I mean? Like you stub around the things that aren't interesting or aren't really domain specific and you start right in the middle. Where's that, where's that juicy interface that does the thing that's kind of the payoff moment? And then how do we get that standing so that we can at least sort of click around it and do something Mm -hmm. that, that relates to some use case that we care about. And a big part of that is kind of going back to what we talked in the prior episode about sort of what are the responsibilities of designers and programmers. The designer doesn't need to deliver a pixel perfect mock-up for that purpose. All you actually need from a designer to, to get something that you can click on on a staging server is the affordances and the relationship between the affordances. Like, so is it going to be some kind of an input and then a radio button and then, a, and then a submit button. And then that takes you somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, are we going to do, is it all going to happen on one screen or are there three different steps that require navigation between before you complete this process? They seem kind of trivial, but they're actually big architectural decisions. And you one know? really nice thing that you did that, that I helped me see how to do those things. I'm terrible with design. My wife has to match my clothes. I'm really hopeless. Um, and and when, when I looked at the column layout method, I, I really got it quickly, this idea that you could just um, take the, the key elements and put them out in a way that couldn't possibly be a screen, but still told you what you needed to do. Yeah, yeah. That's the technique that we call breadboarding in the book. Yeah, and it's the analog to uh, you know to an electronics prototype that you don't mm -hmm. have an industrial design, you don't know the the shape and material of the enclosure and where the you know you have a potentiometer that is dialing up and down some resistance that is maybe a dimmer for a light bulb, but uh, the decision to use that component is very different from all the little decisions you have to make of how many millimeters from the left edge and the top edge is it going to get placed in the chassis. You know? mm -hmm. And the thing I really like about it is what, what we used to do with Balsamic, um, which had a kind of a style sheet where you could switch quickly into something that looked like it had been scribbled on a napkin. Yeah. And, and you would show that to someone and that would viscerally communicate to them that this thing isn't ready. Because of course, when you show someone non-technical thing, they say, great, I, I want it now. Can I click that button? And yep. it's, it's, it's only here in the design. It doesn't really work. Um, so the yeah, column so layout also communicates that. It's like, I couldn't possibly click those things, but I do know that that's a clickable thing. And so that is, um, we use that technique kind of in the, in the shaping phase before we actually uh, bet on a project and commit the team to doing it. Sure. Because we want to leave all of that latitude to the team to work out how it should actually be designed, right? Mm -hmm. Can, can then, we take a minute to talk about shaping in, in, in general? Because I think this is actually one of the most interesting ideas sure. of, of the book. And, and, and so much so that um, what we're describing is something that happens. You, you described the, that you have six-week cycles, but there's also there's, there's two parallel cycles, right? There's the, there's, we've been talking so far about the, what the teams are doing on the projects that have received a bet. Yeah. But now shaping is this parallel one where your different people are, and we can talk about who those people are in a minute, but we'll, we'll just focus on one, that they're this idea of shaping what's going to become a project. 
uh, and it seemed like this is a, a very interesting because you're you're def you're really defining the scope of the project mm -hmm. in that shaping, and then you have a couple <laughs> prototype methods to communicate it. Um, so the breadboard is one, and I know uh, I think fat marker diagram was the other. Yep, fat but, marker sketches. Mm -hmm. Fat marker sketches. Before you get there, though, that's not the starting point. You don't start with that. Can you take us just through a shaping process? If I if I think oh shaping, what's that? What you know the the goal is to end up with something that can that can get green lighted for a bet. Uh, who's doing the shaping, and what's their skill set, and what mm. kind of is their process in creating that, that that shaping? Yeah. So fundamentally, the, uh, you guys are probably familiar with the distinction between people and hats. Yes. You know, and uh, so first of all, at our current size, um, shaping is a person, but when we were smaller, shaping was a hat. Right. Right. Because. Uh, you need to have a certain amount of people for someone to to, to dedicate 100% of their time to doing shaping, right? Mm -hmm. You might have cases where someone is shaping, but they're also the lead developer or the lead designer or the founder or, or whatever, right? When you're smaller. Yep. The, main, the main thing is that shaping is, is an overlap between uh, design and tech and strategy. So we're trying to figure out sort of what's, what's a meaningful thing to do from the strategic point of view, so understanding the business, what is, do we actually have a user-facing, an idea about a user-facing solution that we can sort of picture that's viable and, and would scratch the itch? And are we literate enough technically to judge whether or not this is feasible given the existing system and the amount of time it would take to build and so on? You need to know, is it six weeks from here where we are today? <laughs> uh, well, the, the, our, our default sort of bucket for a major project is we'll set ourselves, we, we allow ourselves a maximum six-week appetite. Mm -hmm. We talk about appetites versus estimates. So an appetite is a huge part of shaping. So in, 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 for a lot of people, um, the, the way that we naively, I mean, all of us actually, the way we naively think about work is first I figure out what I'm going to do and then I estimate it, right? And then, so I start with the design and then I put a number on it. With shaping, the, the strategic part of it is that we start with the number and then we come up with a design that matches the number. So the question isn't how long is it gonna to take to build X? The question is how interested are we in solving that? And is there, if we had to spend six a full six weeks to do it would we be would we be happy with it if if it might even take multiple six week cycles and we're just going to take on the first one to see if we can get if we can define some end point some stopping point that's meaningful for the first six weeks or is this the kind of thing where it's like look if we can get it done in a week let's do it but otherwise we've got bigger fish to fry Dark. and depending on your attitude there you're going to come up with an entirely different design solution mm -hmm. So you're using the time as a constraint on the design instead of using the, the design on the constraint on your time. Makes sense. And, and you use the word it a lot there. You're, you're saying it, it will give ourselves enough time to do it or it, do we have an appetite for it? Mm. Um, what, what is it? Because some of my clients um, define their it in a way that seems different from yours because you talk about uh, your examples in the books are about a book is about, thing, are about things like um, uh, a new calendar feature or a new grid to display something 
mm -hmm. kind of concrete things that are features of the the product base camp but some of my clients talk about things like um number of hits on the website or um number of people who come through the funnel or uh, right. uh conversion rate they're right. they're talking about measurable things that happen on the website or even things like number of phone calls we get as a result of our adverts whatever it yeah. is it doesn't have to be online but it's a business outcome it's it's an outcome but it's really an input it's an input to the shaping process because we can't build numbers. We can't mm -hmm. build new measurements on a, on a meter. What we can build is things that we, that we, we want to bet on that we think are going to move that meter. Got it. So, so if the input is, you know, what's strategically important is moving this number. Mm -hmm. All we've got is, is some, some constraint on the space of possibilities of all the things we might possibly work on. Mm-hmm. But we need to get further than that to some specific idea of what, what change in functionality or, or what new thing are we going to do? What are we going to do differently that we can build within a reasonable amount of time that we think is actually going to do that thing? Got it. So you, you right. could have a bet that is successful in the sense that the developers, the, 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 the team built the thing. It's high quality. It's what they envisioned. They're really happy with it but it didn't achieve the business outcome. Yes, and these are uh, different types of success or failure that should also be teased apart from each other, mm -hmm. right? Because it's not the team's fault if, if, if you shape something up that turns out to not be a good move strategically if they're able to successfully ship it, right? Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if you give them something that's even, regardless of how, how clear it is, if, if, they're, if they're getting lost down rabbit holes or, or, or not able to finish or whatever, then that's more of a reflection on, on, on where the team needs some support, you know? Sure. Uh, I just worry a little bit about, about winding up in a, in a rabbit hole or in the feature factory because if someone else is shaping and they are responsible entirely for whether this is a good idea or not and whether it will actually get more people to buy Basecamp, then they might say, well, hey, I'm just building my stuff. You know, here it comes. It comes down the, the conveyor belt. I'm being very mean to you, Ryan, by the way. I yeah, I like tell that. Tell me where I'm, uh -huh. where I'm wrong. No, that's very um, productive. Mm -hmm. Great. So, so I, I could be, here I am on my little team of, of two or three people, and I get my things. They come down the conveyor belt from the shaping process, and I go and build them, and I build them really high quality and really thoughtfully and according to the designs, and I listen carefully, and I do the best job I can. You know, they go off down the conveyor belt, and it doesn't matter whether anybody actually buys Basecamp as a result. So I'm sure that doesn't happen, but what do you do to, to Of stop course that? it happens. No, of oh, course okay. it happens. The thing is that if we really are honest about the way that, that we make resource allocation decisions in a company, mm -hmm. is somebody's in charge and somebody's not, and the people in charge get to decide, and sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's just how it is, mm -hmm. you know? If, if there's a repeated bad fit, you know, I, 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 if, if you were if working on a team and you just you you really don't like the projects that keep coming to you that's that's a question of you working in the wrong company sure but my case was actually a different one i agree that that's that makes perfect sense but my case was one where i'm perfectly happy but um the the person upstream from me is is coming up with bad bets but but uh, i don't actually have to get very much involved so uh, what I'm not doing is applying my creativity to say, hey, you know this bet that's coming down the pipe? This doesn't seem like a very good bet. So Why I, are we doing this? I don't think I, it's going to work. The last three that I did didn't work. Yeah, no, I appreciate what you're saying. And I think we, um, if someone were to raise their hand and say that, then that would be, we would like, we would listen to that and be interested mm -hmm. in that. However, yeah. um, I think it's important that we never forget how much creativity is involved in actually doing the building. 
Oh, sure. You know, and, and so often we're in the, the, the tickets and queue mind space, you know, where it's like, did you, did you check the task or not? And if we, really, if, we, if we really look at how difficult it is and how many decisions there are to, to implement something, and also if, if we shape it at the right level of abstraction, so we're not just giving them a bunch of wireframes and a bunch of criteria and then saying, go build exactly this, you know, but we've outlined something that's mm -hmm. meaningful, then the team has a lot of decisions to make. And we, have a, we can develop a kind of mutual respect for each other where I respect the teams for how hard it is and how much time and attention it takes to make all the decisions they have to make to, to fill in this, this boundary, you know, this kind of open space that, we're, that we've defined in the shaping process. And at the same time, through repeated positive experience, they can develop a sort of trust uh, upward that, that these people who are doing the shaping are more or less uh, have their heads in the right place. And that also for the shapers, it takes a lot of time and work for them to, to, to figure out what to do next. That it's not mm -hmm. just so arbitrarily writing something on the wall, but it's actually, it's research and deliberation and, and a lot of sketching and, and wrestling with things to figure out where to go next. Mm -hmm. it, it's worth maybe at this point to, to bring up, because we're talking about the people who are doing the shaping, but it, it's not just them, because also you come to the betting table right? This is where yes. the shaped bets. So this is the point you've done the shaping, but you'll have, it's not just you've shaped one thing for a team. It's, it's actually, you, you have many things competing for, for time. Can you describe that, that process? What happens yeah. once I have several shaped projects? Yeah. So the end, the end of the shaping process is, is what we call a pitch and a pitch is a presentation of some shaped work. So here is our appetite for this, the amount of time we want to spend on it. And, and which is very important by the way, because objectively, you know, um, a steak is better than a hot dog, but if you only have five <laughs> minutes, a hot dog is the very best option. Yeah. Right. So you need to declare that upfront. Right. Yep. And then everyone understands the trade-offs you're making. So, so we've got in the pitch, we've got the appetite, the problem we're trying to solve or the opportunity we think is there, the, the boundaries of the solution, any rabbit holes that we're calling out things that we've said, don't do this or specifically do this to, to, to avoid some kind of, um, spiraling out of control, you know, and things that we're not going to do. All that goes into the pitch. And the pitch is, is just a potential bet. And there's no backlog. There's no queue. There's no pile of stuff that's waiting. Somebody who, who wants to pitch something brings it to the betting table. And the betting table is, is, is just a few people who, who decide kind of how the team's time gets to be spent. And in our case, that's, um, Jason, the CEO, and he's like kind of the last word on product as well. And because uh, his background is as a designer and David CTO. And, uh, and then I'll be there and we have a, a very senior programmer here named Jeff. And um, the, somebody has to actually bring the thing to the table. So it's, it's sitting on some list is no, is no, there's no authority in that. It needs to be contextual and timely and somebody bothered to actually lobby for it. And then we'll have a few things that are, are well-shaped and there might be, you know, I mean, we, we live in reality. So there's always going to be some stuff that's also poorly shaped, you know, but maybe, maybe somebody's really itching to do it. And even though it's kind of poorly shaped, we go ahead and do it anyway. And the project turns out to be kind of a mess, but you know what I mean? And then you're like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Oh, right. Like we actually have to, 
remember to take more care when we shape like you know what i mean all of this is yeah. a is a flow but the mm -hmm. thing is that we have the language for it and we 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 know what the different phases are of this work and we can see the causality of kind of what leads to what and, and what outcome leads to what and so there's a bit of accountability there. So if, if something's poorly shaped and it goes ahead, it's not just the person who's doing the shaping, it's also the, 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 the people on the betting table who gave it the thumbs up. Yes. And, and so there's accountability for them yep. uh, as, as well. Yep. And one thing that may sound odd to our list, some of our listeners is the idea that you don't have a backlog. I, I often tell um, product people, they're, they're often not brave enough to do it, but I often tell them, delete your backlog. So I really liked that characteristic. The key thing that I think I want to make sure everybody hears, tell me if I got this wrong, Ryan, you're allowed to bring something back. So if you bring something, it's okay, it's shaped well enough, or maybe it's not, but you get rejected and they say, it's just not quite good enough. David says, oh, it's not quite right for us right now. You can bring it back in another six weeks and say, hey, can we try this again? Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the same thing holds true. Um, I think maybe, I'm not sure if it was the last episode, we talked about the circuit breaker, this mm -hmm. notion yeah, that, yep. yeah, um, you can also revive something that got killed. You know, so let's say, let's say we take on a project, there turn, turn out to be some complexities that we couldn't foresee, um, I, either to, to, to um, not shaping enough or just because there's, there are things that you just can't predict. And then let's say the project goes south and it doesn't finish. Mm -hmm. So we don't automatically reinvest as we talked about before. Um, but if somebody thinks, you know what, this is really valuable, I want to find a solution to that thing that that whatever that rabbit hole that we fell down into let's figure out how to patch that over and then and then if you actually do sort of a, another round of shaping work to figure out what is our approach there and how can we feel that our odds have improved for a new bet then you can bring it back to the betting table and say let's take another swing at this i think i know i think i know something i didn't know before that makes this a better bet Got it. This reminds me of a tool that we used to use um, at the company Jeffrey and I both worked at before called Tim. And uh, it, was, it was an idea from Ron Jeffries called Petition the King. And you would come to essentially a betting table with an idea. And if it wasn't uh, approved, um, then it, you could bring it back again. We didn't have a backlog. That worked really well. Yep. Um, the interesting puzzle we had was that we had some people who were quiet. And they weren't the sort of person who would say, um, you know, oh, I got rejected, but I should try again. They were the sort of person who said, oh, my idea was bad. Mm. And then they wouldn't bring back a good idea again. Do you have any cultural steps or any hints for, for how to avoid that? Well, in my experience is, is, is just my own on this point, because I've been working with Jason and David for so many years. So I have a pretty good ability to kind of read um, what they're interested in or not interested in, or, or, and, and also... I can sort of feel where my boundaries are and, and how far I can push and what's appropriate and not. And I have quite a bit of confidence in that area through mm -hmm. working together for so long. So, so, so I don't have a lot of, I, I haven't needed to troubleshoot that. However, I have noticed that um, we have other teams in the company and especially, you know, you, you go through different growing pains and then all of a sudden you have, for example, maybe a lot of people in support and, and now the, the, all the people in support are having a discussion about things that they're seeing that they feel aren't getting attention. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're not even at the table. Yep. You know? So then like, I'm interested in how can I have a one-on-one -on -one with the person who's leading support and, and, and really ask, please nag me right now. Mm -hmm. you know? What are the things that, that you still wish happened that didn't happen yet? Now, now this isn't a betting table. This is a sort of consultation. Right, mm -hmm. but but they, they to be clear, they could come to the table, right? It's anybody can come. And no, 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 something. no, no. Oh, no, okay. no, no. The 
think about it. You're using C-level people time. Mm-hmm. That You don't get much of that time. The, uh, the, the, somebody who, who runs the business or, or who makes these types of decisions about what are we going to work on and how are we going to spend our time and wh- where's the pro- company going to go strategically, that person doesn't have a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So this, this um, betting table session needs to be small and intensely productive. Got it. So you, 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 uh, if I'm in support, if I just got hired a, a few months ago and I have a cool idea, I need to take it to you, Ryan, first or, or somebody else who actually comes to the betting table and, and you pitch it for me? Is that how the, it works? Yeah. And it's not a power thing. It's a skill thing. So if, sure. if that person um, really was interested in shaping, I would love to, to work with that person to help them build up that skill and then direct their career toward that role. But, but if they've but, just got started, they don't but, have the skill, then they, they use somebody else. They say, here's my idea. Can you shape it for me? Exactly. Because we're just acknowledging the fact that these things, um, they, they require time and focus and doing t- certain types of research and, and wrestling with certain problems and producing certain types of deliverables that, that if you have another role, you just don't have the time to, to learn how to do that. And even if you had the skill, the time to actually perform it, you mm-hmm. know? So, so what we're trying to do then is, is cultivate the relationships in such a way that, that the person who's not, in the, not able to do shaping for whatever reason is able to say, hey, will you please consider this um, you know, for the future? Makes sense. One, one point I want to stress here about this, the betting table, because this is a constraint you talked about, the C-level person. And, and, uh, and it it's can be a subtle point that people might miss. They might say, oh, well, you know, we wanted, this all sounds great, but we, we can't get that person. So we're going to go ahead and try this without them. It seems to me what you get from this uh, is, is this um, strong commitment that people will have their six weeks, that the vets that go ahead, where you made the commitment to the project having the six weeks, that barring some existential crisis for the company, they're going to have their, their dedicated time. And, and the only way to, that you can do that is to have these uh, powerful people in. Is, is, that, is that right? I'm really glad that you raised that. Um, that is essential to the definition of a bet. If you, if you make a bet and you say, I'm going to bet $10 on this outcome, and then when the time comes, you don't pay all $10, <laughs> then you have, a, you have a strained relationship, to say it very lightly, right? right. Um, so if we bet uh, a designer and a programmer for six weeks, and we don't give six weeks, the full six weeks, somebody's getting cheated, you know? So we, we need to set up um, some sort of a structure. So this is an organizational question. We want to think of the cycles as a capacity management strategy. So how are we going to manage our capacity? Well, if we, if we chunk it up six weeks at a time and they only do what we bet on and nothing else and nobody else can pull them aside then, then that's, the, that's the rules of the game that we play within. Now, I am seeing uh, companies of different kinds adopting this, and some companies aren't as flat, many companies aren't as flat as we are. If you're really flat, then it's quite easy to, to, to just say, look, anything else, no matter what it is, can wait till the end of the six weeks. You've got two weeks of cool down to do random stuff that emerges you know, between, and you could even dedicate the entire next cycle to something that emerged, right? Because we're only doing one at a time. So six weeks is actually not a long time to say all hands are doing this thing. Um, th- so it's possible that you might have somebody who's higher in the company that doesn't sit at the betting table because you're just kind of working within some kind of a larger 
uh, thematic guidance. You know what I mean? Like a certain type of number needs to go up or yeah. there's a certain kind of theme that's coming from, from higher up. And it may be that you can't even get the people who are higher up to sort of think at the six week level because they're always trying to talk about a year from now or something like that. That yeah. can happen as well. So it's just a question in terms of organizational structure of who actually controls the programmer and designer's time. Yeah. Is, is there someone who can make the commitment? Is there someone who can, yeah, make, who, who, who's going to live up to the bet? <laughs> right. Exactly. That sounds good to me. Uh, so thanks everybody for listening to Ryan Singer from Basecamp. Uh, you can find his book Shape Up at uh, in our show notes and, and by searching for Shape Up Basecamp on, on Google, I'm sure. It's easy. Basecamp.com slash shape up. There we go. So uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, we're at troubleshootingagile.com where you can find email and Twitter and anything else that we can think of for, for getting in touch with us, asking us about uh, Basecamp and ShapeUp and, and other topics of interest and how tell us your stories of using them. We always like it when our listeners click the subscribe button in their favorite app and come back every Wednesday for exciting stuff from us, including next week, more from Ryan Singer from Basecamp. Thanks, Jeffrey and Ryan. Thanks, Will. 